on a uh, cool Sunday morning. Glad you're here. How many of you are going on a road trip this summer, or this Christmas, I'm sorry? Anybody going on a road trip over the Christmas holidays? Nobody. All right, one person is, two people. How many of you are going on a plane trip? How many of you are staying here? Yeah, I guess we do live in paradise. But I remember when we were little and we would go on a road trip to see Grandma. And uh, do you guys ever sing that song, Over the River and Through the Woods? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, I actually have the lyrics, I think, here behind me. Do they put them up? And we're going to sing it. Right? Are you ready? Kind of go, you know, get your voice. Ready? Here we go. Over the river and through. Don't get, oh, no, 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 no. Now listen. The 9 o'clock service did a lot better, and they weren't near, I mean, they're more asleep than you guys are, right? So let's, let's look at it. We're going to go to the next verse. We're going to sing these two verses, okay? This is the second verse. Over the river and through the woods, oh, how the wind does blow. It stings the toes and bites the nose. All right? So you ready? Now, let, guys, we need a little more male. Mm. All right? A little bass in there. All right, so we're going to start with verse number one. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Let's get fired up here, all right? Listen, you're here. You might as well enjoy yourself, okay? Here we go. Over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. The horse knows the way to carry the sleigh. White and drifted snow. Oh! Oh, how the wind does blow. Give yourself a hand. That is incredible. A road trip. That's really what this series is about. From Chicago to L.A., 2,500 miles. Now, if you've ever been on a road trip with a child, anybody know what I'm talking about? Or as a child, there is one question that you are guaranteed to be asked. Are we there yet? Let's watch this. Alright, alright, I get it. 
I'm just so darn bored. Well, find a way to entertain yourself. <sighs> you not be yourself for five minutes ah, are we there yet yes oh I played that whole clip because if you've ever traveled on a road trip you get asked that question all the time don't you are we there yeah I'm so bored I don't know what I'm supposed to, and then they start fighting. And you know what? It's not just the kids, though. In John 10, 10, it says this. Jesus is speaking. John writes it down. He says, the, he said, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Some translations say overflowing. And so this is the journey. In the Old Testament, the picture of this journey or this road trip, the people of God going to the promised land. And if you've ever read the story, the people of God ask the question over and over again, are we there yet? They get bored and they build a cow and start to worship that. So often, even as adults in our spiritual lives, we kind of ask that same question, are, are we there yet? Are we to the abundant life? When are we going to get there? I mean, when are we going to have joy? When are we going to have peace? When am I going to reach my dream? When am I going to experience my destiny? When am I going to see the purposes that I've been running after? When are, we, when are we going to get there? And I think the Gospels are written as a guidebook. You might think of it as a, a Christmas road trip guide. And I want us to look especially at the book of John. Because John, as he writes at the end of his letter, it's like he's written this whole guidebook. At the end of his letter, he says, let me tell you why I wrote this. And, well, let's just look. In chapter 20, in verse 31... Here's what he says. He says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Yeah, life. You might have life. Remember, life abundantly. Jesus says, I have come so that you can reach the promised land. You can reach your destiny. What is that promised land? It is the abundant life that John talks about, the overflowing life, the more than enough life. And John says, I've written this that you may believe. In other words, that you get in the vehicle. You'd start the journey. And that's really who this letter's written to. It's written to two groups of people. It's written, to, first of all, to a group of people who have never gotten the car. They're still sitting in Chicago. They've never actually started the journey to an abundant life, to peace or joy. And John says, I've written all this down so that you can have confidence there is such a place, that it's possible. And then there are some of us who have gotten the car and we've taken off, and, but mile marker after mile marker, and we're just not there yet. And we are asking that question. Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? This is really long and this is really hard. And John says, I have written this so that you can have confidence that you're going to reach the destination, that you are going to have life. And so I want to give you real quickly today, if I could, kind of John's handbook to the, Christian, or to the Christmas road trip. 
And there are three things that he tells us to do on this journey. Here's the first one if you want to jot it down. Is that John says, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the trip or the journey. When I was little and we would go on a trip, we would often play different games. I've got two brothers, so there'd be three of us in the back seat, mom and dad in the front. And sometimes we'd play the game where you try to find license plates from all the states, you know, or as many states as you could. Then we'd play the game where you'd go A, apple, then my brother would go A, apple, B, bear. And my other brother would go A, apple, B, bear, C, cat. And you just kind of keep going through it over and over again. And then we, we, we'd play, my favorite game was slug bug. And basically what that meant is when you saw a, vol, a little beetle Volkswagen, you got to hit your brother. A little violent, but I was the oldest, so I really enjoyed that game. We would sing sometimes. I mean, we do all these different things to try to enjoy the journey. So that it wasn't just about where we were going, but it was how we were going to get there. And today we've got iPads and movies and all these other things so that the journey itself can actually, well, it can actually bring uh, a sense of joy. If you look in John 10.10, he kind of reminds us of this. He says, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. In other words, there is this process of, of peace, of joy as you're journeying to the promised land or the destiny. And as you look at the, the book of John, you know what you discover along the way is there's some incredible miracles. Like I went back, because this book is a journey, it's a guide, and, and I went back and in chapter 2, you know what Jesus does? He turns the water into wine. And wine is a picture of, of joy, it's a picture of success, it's a picture of, of, of destiny or, or community, it's a, a fun party, all those kind of things. And I think what John's saying is, if you're not careful, you'll be so focused on where you're going that you miss all the things that happen along the way. Now, our eternal destination, heaven, the scripture talks about, it's an incredible place. It's a place where the Bible says the, the tears are wiped away, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. There's no pain in heaven. There's no relational arguments and, and going out one another. So it's an incredible place. But John says through the, given the words from Christ, that, that the journey itself has some amazing joy. In John chapter 6, there's the miracle of feeding 5,000 dudes, so that means there's probably fifteen to 20,000 people there with a little bit of fish and chips. In John chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. Can you imagine seeing that? I mean, it's not just plexiglass that he's kind of like a today's magicians. He's literally walking on the water. It's in the book of John that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. Lazarus has been dead for four days and Jesus shows up and he says, Hey, uh, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And that which was dead is now alive. And all of that happens on the journey. Not at the destination, but on the journey. And again, what John's saying is that there's so much happening all around us. But we get so focused and what's going on in our car, that we miss what's happening in the world around us. Have you ever traveled with one of those people that the moment they get in the car or the moment they get on the airplane, they fall asleep? 
know what I mean? You walk up to them after the flight, and you're like, my God, did you see? We flew right over the Grand Canyon. Did you see those mountains? Did you see the Grand Canyon? And they're like, what? I didn't see. We fly over the Grand Canyon? Right, because they, they were asleep. Or in the car. Some of you are like that at church. You get here, you fall asleep. And you're missing some really good stuff. But John says we tend to live life that way. We're, we're just not aware of what God's doing. The beauty that you, that you pass every day. The opportunities. I mean, if you think about it, just the birth of a child. We often take it for granted because we're so focused on what's happening in our car and where we're going and, and when we're going to get there and how awesome it's going to be when I get that raise or when I start that company or when I finally find someone to go into a relationship with. And we miss the fact that all around us, life is happening. And even the most incredible biologist in the world or, uh, can't describe how in the world this, this happens. Well, there's nothing. There comes life. Relationships. I mean, if you think about it, the scripture says that for this reason, a man will leave his father's mother and they will come together with his wife. They'll become one. And these two people that grew up in different places with different mindsets and all of these differences, they, they come together in this, this beautiful relationship where they love one another and they sacrifice for one another and they serve one another and they communicate with one another. All of, it's miraculous. And it's going on all around us, between brothers and sisters and between moms and dads and, and kids and parents and, and friends. I mean, all of this is happening. And some of us, you missed it all week long. You missed all the beauty that happened this week. You missed all the opportunities that happened this week because you were so focused on where you were going. And John says you're missing it. If you're going to go on a Christmas road trip, so much of the joy, so much of what God wants to teach us happens along the way. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, he talks about, I have told you all this so that you will have peace in me. He says, I've told you all this so you have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials or sorrows. Can I get an amen? How many of you had a sorrow or trial in the last little bit, right? He says, that's going to happen. Don't be surprised. In other words, what's he saying? You're going to get some flat tires on this journey. You're going to get some engines that clank and clunk along the way. You're going to have some things that happen, but take heart. Some translations say, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. If you've ever traveled, you know... <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult. They lose your luggage. That's so frustrating. Last, a uh, couple nights ago, we do this thing called pastor, priest, and rabbi. And so the three of us get together, and the goal is to challenge people to think, right? We talk about our differences. And so we met at the synagogue. The rabbi hosted us, and I, I, I was going, um, and I got lost, have you ever taken a shortcut that ended up being a long cut? You know what I'm talking about? My middle son had told me a shortcut, all right, Carson. And Steph and I are on our way, and I told her, I said, I think we're supposed to turn right here and we'll miss all this traffic. I said, but I'm not sure. But I think this is it. I said, what do you think? And she's like, well, I don't know. And I said, I'm going to do it. 
So I, I turned, made a left, and as soon as I made the left, I realized it's one of those lefts where you're trapped. It doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry. We're going to be late. And I turned it back around, got back on the, on the, on the road, and, and we came up to the next red light. I said, I, I think this might be it. I said, what do you think? We ought to go for it? I don't know. <laughs> and I said, we're going for it. So we made another left. Guess what? I was wrong. It was one of those where you're trapped. You can't get out of it except for turn around and come back where you, you came from. And then we came up to the next red light. I said, sweetie, this has got to be it. You want to go for it? She said no. All right. <clears throat> you ever taken one of those shortcuts that end up being a long cut? And I like the fact that John's just real straight up honest here. He says, you know what? There are going to be times when you're on this journey and it's difficult. And it's challenging. And it can be overwhelming. And when that happens, what do you want to do? Go home. Give up on it. We're never going to get there. It's just too, it's just, it's just a brochure. It probably doesn't even exist. And there's that temptation to turn around. But John says, when you get a flat tire, don't give up. Why? Well, it goes all the way back to the Christmas story when the angel said, I've got good news that's going to be of great joy for all people. A Savior has been born in the, in the town of Bethlehem the city of David, and you'll find him, and he's going to be wrapped in snuggling clothes and lying in a manger. A Savior has been born. The word Savior could actually be translated rescuer. So what John is reminding us of is that sometimes when the engine breaks down or the tires go flat and everything within us says we're never going to get to our destiny, we're never going to see our dreams, we're never going to experience all that God has put inside of our heart. He says, no, 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 don't give up. Why? Because there is a rescuer and this rescuer is better than AAA. I mean, God will show up and get us back on the journey. So... We need to uh, enjoy the ride, man. Look out the window. Roll it down. Maybe take the tent off the window so that you can see the beauty that's happening around you every day. The second thing I think John tells us that while we're on this journey is that we need to share with one another. Again, if you've ever traveled with a child or been a child, I, like, I had two brothers, so there were three of us in the back seat. And mom and dad would tell us, because we tend to fight, and we would draw lines, imaginary lines. And I would tell my brothers, you stay on your side, and I'll stay on my side. And if you've ever traveled with children, you start to hear things like this in the back seat if it's a long journey. You touch me. Mom, they touch me. Because one of your children is always the irritator. Right, they're crossing the line and they're coming back and say, what, mom? I didn't do it. Right? You got all of this stuff going on in the back seat. And it's like, well, you know, now today with iPad and all this stuff, it's like, well, what movie are we going to watch? Why do we have to watch that? We always watch what she wants to watch, mom. We always watch. What, and then if you don't have headphones, you have to argue about what music you're going to listen to. Right? There's all of this. And what does John says? John says, hey, share. That the people in which you're doing life with aren't your competition. They're actually your help. Because as adults, we do the same thing, don't we? We're on this journey traveling along, and we start fighting about, uh, you know, the house that we live in and the car that we drive and the job that we have. And, and, and we, we have all this stuff going on with, with one another. It's so obvious during the Christmas season. I mean, have you been to the mall lately? 
And when somebody puts their car in reverse and the white and the black lights or the red lights come on and you can tell they're about to back up leaving a parking space. And there are five cars that see it all at the same time. Have you seen that happening? Right? You know what I try to do? As I try to pretend like, you know, I just play it cool. Like I really don't want it. So I can fake them out, you know, and get there. Right? I mean, you, you will literally see people fight over a parking spot. Or who's first in line. Have you actually seen adults get mad? All you got to do is go to the airport. Go to the airport, and people will try to cut in front of one another, and they'll be, oh, not today, buddy. That uh, happened in here, you know. Right? All this stuff is going on. And what does John say? John says, no, no, you've got to learn to share. You've you got to realize that the people around you are not there to be your competition. They're actually there to, um, to help one another, to share with one another. Don't miss what's going on in the world around us simply because we're fighting with the people that are sitting next to us. He reminds us of that in John 15, verse number 12. He says, this is the commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. He says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That we're not here to fight, but we're here to love one another. You know, that's, that's really what, when we ask you to bring toys, that's what that's all about is that we could love one another. We could love the folks in Cuba. And we, we really need, if you'd love for, uh, if, for you to go with us to Cuba. Because the only way we're going to get things in Cuba until we're able to get a container is folks carry it. They put one ba- a bag in one hand, the bag in another hand, hand, stuff as many things in it as we can so that we can get to that island where so many people are struggling and we can say Merry Christmas. We can say that you're not forgotten and uh, these things are all here for you. Right? That's what that's about. That's what helping Puerto Rico or helping the Keys. The other night, you know, next year, Potential Church will celebrate 40 years of ministry, which is a pretty exciting thing in today's world. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, 40 years of ministry. And so the, our mama and papa church is Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. They started this church 40 years ago. And so I was over there with a group of people, and we were kind of celebrating and, and saying thank you and dreaming about the future a little bit. And so after it was over, it was kind of getting late. Steph and I were in the lobby, and, and we were, you know, kind of saying bye to folks and shaking hands and that kind of thing. And, and this young man walks in to the church, walks into the lobby, and the doors to the auditorium were actually locked. And so he goes over there, and he can't get in. He's like, is the church open? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I guess. I mean, it's not, it's not my church. It's not, I'm not in charge here. And, and he says, well, it's a church. I wanted to pray. It ought to be open. And I'm like, okay, I guess. And, I, uh, you know, where we were actually meeting, I, I thought to myself, well, he can go, he can go in there and pray. And so I, I, I started to say, well, you know, you can go in there in the corner. Um, and, and it's like that, that moment that God kind of nudged um, my heart. And said, Troy, you're, 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 you're focused on where you're going. You, you know, you're focused, I was focused on the fact that I was hungry. I was tired. It was late. There were folks that I was interacting with and, and shaking hands with, doing all that kind of stuff. And it's like I said, you need to roll down your windows. You, you, you need to slow down and, and help. And you know how God is. He just won't leave you alone. 
right? After the fact, you're happy about it, but when it's going on, it's a little irritating. And, 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 and so God just kind of like, okay, you know, all right. So I kind of walked, walked over to him, and I, I said, what's going on? You're here to pray. What, what's, what can we do? How can, how can we help? And he began to share and all these different things that were going on in his life. And it, there's lots of hurt and pain and relational stuff and, and all those um, different things that were happening. And, then, and I just thought that so many times in life, it's so easy to get focused on where you're going. And where you're going is a good place. Where you're going is the dream that God put in your heart. But it's so easy to get so focused on going to the promised land that we miss the opportunity to help those around us. You know, there's actually a story in the New Testament. You've probably even heard of it. It's called the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is, is about good people that are so focused on their destination, they miss the opportunity to help. I mean, I wonder this week how many times were we so focused, so focused about what was going on in our car that we missed the opportunity to help someone at work or to help a neighbor across the street, or to even bring something to help the folks in Puerto Rico or Cuba. It's easy to do. It's not bad people that do it. It's just focused people that do it. And John's like, hey, if you want to enjoy this journey, if you want to get everything out of it, then, man, don't, don't miss what's going on around you. Enjoy the ride. Sing a few songs. Look at the beauty. And then share actually slow down enough to help the people what if you were to actually give them the parking space that was yours what if you were to let them get ahead of you in the line John says that that's where real joy is found in John chapter 3 verse 16 for this is how God loved the world he gave his one and only unique son as a what gift so now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. They'll make it to the destination. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world, but to be a savior and do what? Rescue it. And here's what I wrote in my notes. Kind of a question to myself. Am I fighting people or rescuing people? Am I focused on my problems in other words, all day, have your focus been on your problems, what's going on in your car, or am I helping people? And maybe the most challenging question of all is, it says, he gave his only, one and only, unique son as a gift. And I ask myself the question, what are you willing to sacrifice as a gift? What are you willing to sacrifice? Maybe it's time when the young man came in to... Um, Sheridan Hills the other night, it was time. I had to sacrifice time to help him. I had to sacrifice what I wanted to do to help him. What, what are you willing to sacrifice? When we challenge people to give their greatest gift, what are we challenging them to do? Sacrifice. To focus not upon themselves, but upon their opportunity to help others. While we get bigger as people, Sometimes we never mature out of what we were like as kids. And the journey seems like a long way. And it seems really, really frustrating. And we think, you know what? We'll never, ever get there. And that brings me to the last thing I jotted down is to not to be afraid to express your doubts. 
Have you ever been on one of those long journeys? You know, maybe like Route 66 from Chicago to L.A., 2,500 miles. It takes me three days to get from here to our Pensacola campus, all right? It takes me one day to get from here to Orlando, another day to get to Tallahassee, and then the third day to get to Pensacola. So you don't want to travel with me if you're in a hurry, okay? So I can't imagine. Have you ever, have you ever been on a, on a trip or maybe a long flight, and it just seems like it takes forever I think there are probably some of us here today that find ourselves, when it comes to this journey to the promised land, to the abundant life, it seems like it's been a really, really long time. And the question is not, are we there yet? The question is, will we ever get there? Did you fall for a brochure? In other words, did somebody sell you the Brooklyn Bridge? It looks good on paper, but you're beginning to wonder, does it even actually exist? Will you ever accomplish that purpose, experience that dream, live that destiny? Will you ever have that breakthrough? Or was it all just smoke and mirrors? Was it all just a brochure? When life gets difficult and challenging, it's so easy to doubt. But we seldom are willing to admit, to admit our doubts. Now, we see them in the, the Gospel of John in chapter 20, it says now Thomas, Thomas has a nickname, anybody know what it is? Huh? Yeah, Doubting Thomas. He was also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So remember, Jesus was born, he lived for 30 years, around the age of 30, he started to do his ministry at 33, he was nailed to a tree, he died, he resurrected, and then he ascended to heaven. Well, between the time in which he resurrected and he ascended to heaven, he did some pretty cool things that you ought to read about. One of them is he showed up to the disciples, but not all the dudes were there, just some of them. Thomas was one of those who wasn't. So that's what this is talking about. It says, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas wasn't there, verse 25. So the other disciples did what? They told him about it. They said, Thomas should have been here, man. It was incredible. We have seen the Lord. He's not dead. He is alive. How does Thomas respond? Woohoo! Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I told you. I told you. No, no. How does he respond? But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And it's real easy to look at Thomas and think, oh my gosh, how in the world? You're one of the, one of the 12. You walked with him and you talked with him. But you know what I think Thomas was doing? I think Thomas was saying, I've experienced too much pain in my life, boys. I've had too many unmet expectations. I was told a lot of things. I was told that Jesus was the Messiah. I was believed that the Romans would be expelled and that Jesus would be on his throne and that we would be his right-hand dudes. None of that happened. The Romans are still in power. Jesus died. I saw it with my very own eyes, and I'm not falling for that again. Don't come to me with all those brochures about how great that destination is because I'm not believing it until I can put my hands where those nails were because I know those nails were real. And I think you and I can identify. 
Because I think there are a lot of us here that have probably been hurt in our life. We've had unmet expectations. There are lots of promises that we've read about in the scripture. And we've went mile marker after mile marker. And yet they have yet to appear in our life. And we doubt. Is it real? I mean, is the thing real or is it just a brochure? Just something we're taught when we're kids. But it really has no power. It doesn't have the ability to bring forth life. Thomas says, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not letting myself get hurt like that again. I'm not, I'm not going down that road. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. This time, good old Tom was with them. It says, through the doors were locked, but Jesus stood among them anyway. He just kind of walked through the door. He said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, and I think Thomas's eyes were big, you know, as Jesus walks through this door. And he doesn't yell at Thomas. He doesn't say, Thomas, I can't. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he tells Thomas, he says, Thomas, you need to stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And I think Thomas said that through tears. Because see, here's the deal. When you're doubting, you want to believe. If you're on the journey, if you're a Christ follower, you got in the car and you believe that there's something unique about you, that you were knit together in your mother's room by the all-powerful God that gave you a dream and gave you a destiny and gave you a purpose, that you want to believe that it's not just a brochure, that it's real. And here Thomas finds Jesus, not dead but alive. And I think it was through tears that he said, my Lord and my God. See, I think that it's important for us to acknowledge our doubt because doubt does impact your life. See, we tend to deny it. No, no, I believe. Woo. I believe, I believe, I believe. Rather than to admit, you know what, the truth is I'm doubting. See, and the reason we need to acknowledge it is it affects, it's like, it's like fuel in a car. When a car begins to run out of fuel, it loses what? Power. If you're low on fuel, you don't take risk. Why? Well, what if you're wrong? You've only got so much fuel, and if you make a wrong turn, if the shortcut's not really a shortcut, then you could run out of gas, and you could be in really big trouble. Well, faith is the same way. Faith is our fuel that allows us to move forward with passion and courage. It allows us to take risk. Why? Because we believe. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It also says in the book of Hebrews that it is impossible to please God without faith. So what's the one thing the enemy is trying to cipher out of your life? Faith. Because the moment you and I lose faith, we pull over to the side of the road. I mean, if you were here last weekend, and I talked about generosity and, and resources and all those things. Now think about it. If you're low on faith, it's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to live a generous life if you're low on faith because what's the question? It's the same question. What if I'm wrong? What if I run out of gas? But when you have faith, when you have a tank full of faith, you take those risks because I believe that God is able to do that which he has said he will do. And until you and I are willing to say, you know, 
Here's the truth. Rather than trying to rationalize why I'm not taking risk, why I'm not living a generous life, rather than opening up my bank account and let you see it, let me just be honest. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm tired of going mile marker after mile marker, and somewhere, without even realizing it, the enemy has snuck up to my vehicle, and he ciphered away some of my gas. And it's not that I'm a bad person. It's just that I just don't know anymore. Because I've been hurt too deep, and I've been hurt too many times. And what I, and and again, I want to encourage you that some of those heroes of the faith are heroes of the faith because they were willing to admit their doubt and in doing so be refueled. One of them, for example, look what Jesus said about a dude by the name of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7. He says, you were looking for a prophet, talking about John the Baptist. Yes, he, John the Baptist, is more than a prophet. John is the man whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you. In other words, he says, John was prophesied in the Old Testament. He's a big dude. And then look what Jesus says in verse 28. This is Jesus. He says, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than who? John, the Baptist. This is a different John, not the one who wrote the letter. He says, John, there's nobody bigger than him. Now look at what John did in verses 18. This is before Jesus said that. Jesus said what he just, we just read after this uh, happened. In verse 18, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. In other words, all these incredible things are happening in the life of Jesus. You know where John the Baptist is? In jail. You know why he's in jail? Because he did what God asked him to do. He spoke out about truth, and as a result, he was in jail. And not only was he in jail, he was about to lose his head. In other words, his fuel was running low. He's like, if God is God, then why am I in jail? And so he pulled some of his boys together and he says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to talk to Jesus and I want you to ask him this question. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the one? Because if you're the one, I don't understand why I'm not there yet. And maybe you can identify, maybe that's your question. Not are we there yet, but is he the one? Is it real? And So they go and they talk to to Jesus and they ask him, you can look in verse 20, are you the Messiah or should we keep looking for someone else? It's interesting, they say John told us to ask, just by the way, Jesus. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases and illness, evil spirits. He restored sight of many who were blind. And then he looks at John's disciples. He says, you go back and you tell John. Tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. He says, you go and you tell John not just what you have seen, but also what you have heard. And I think what he's saying is, look around. If you're, if you're struggling with doubt, look around and see all that God is doing around you. 
He says, I know that right now in John's life, he's a long way. But if he will look around, he will see that I am active uh, around him. I am active in the lives of others. And just as I have the power to interact with others, I will also interact in his life. Good news. Great joy for all people. When he's speaking to Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He says, Thomas, will you believe because you've seen me? But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I, I like what Psalms 27 says. Is here's, here's what I've learned through it all. And I wrote the numbers in. They weren't in the original. He says, don't, don't give up. Don't be impatient. The greatest temptation you will ever fear face is to give up is to turn that car around go back to where you're comfortable go back to what you know the moment you step out and you help someone what's the greatest temptation is to stop helping them if you've ever been generous financially what's the biggest temptation is to stop doing it the moment you get a flat tire the moment the engine begins to clunk the greatest temptation in life will be to assume that it's a brochure but that the destination does not is not real just need to go home. I only got enough gas to get home if I go now. And I like that he says, you know what I've learned is not to give up and not to be impatient. It's to continue to keep my foot on the accelerator knowing that um, what God started in me, he will bring to completion. Which is the second thing, be entwined as one with the Lord. In other words, my hang time with God. Number three, three, be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Listen, people who are hope-filled are courageous people. Depression doesn't take, any, uh, doesn't take any courage. Discouragement doesn't take any courage. Uh, Jerry Falwell said one time, you can discover the, the metal of a person, not by what encourages them, but by what it takes to discourage them. And I love that the scripture says, be of courage. It takes courage to have hope. It takes courage to keep your foot on the accelerator, even though you can't see the destination. Even though you can't see the breakthrough. You, you, you can't see the dream being fulfilled in your life yet. And yet you continue to go, not based upon your ability to drive, but based upon the fact that God is who he said he was, will do what he said he could do. Because the fourth thing is, yes, keep on waiting. Why? Because he will never disappoint you. And John says that the way in which we get to the destination, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. In other words, there's only one train going to the promised land. And Jesus said, it's me. And I know that there are some of us here who have never got on the train. You, you've never got into the car. You're still sitting in Chicago, and you're waiting for something to happen, and then you'll trust Christ. And then you'll believe. There are others of us. We got in the car, we slammed the door, and we took off singing, you know, all the great road trip songs. But that was a long time ago, and we're still not there. And you're tired, and you're hurting, and you want to give up. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Would you bow your head?
The only way to arrive to the destination of the abundant life, the eternal life, is through Christ. Not through religion, not through hard work, not through great knowledge. Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're all good, they're all important. But they're not what will get you to your destination. There's only one thing, and that's a relationship. Good news, great joy for all people. Today, in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. And you will find him wrapped in snuggling cloths and lying in a manger. Father, thank you for the gift. And just as the people of God, just as your children in the Old Testament traveled to the land of promise, along the way they made some bad decisions. Along the way they fought giants. Along the way they faced incredible odds. Along the way they got thirsty, they became hungry. And although they faced every one of those challenges, when we read your scripture, we know that they crossed the Jordan River and they marched into the promised land because you are faithful. And so I pray that we would have that same courage to hope, to believe, to take risks, to renew our passion to enjoy the journey in Jesus name Amen give God a hand would you do that